Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drinkon, and I'm your host today for this amazing conversation where we talk about how to overcome challenge. Isn't that amazing? It is actually true that you can overcome challenge, be incredibly driven, and have peace. Think about that for a second. It's possible to be incredibly driven and have challenges and have peace inside. And one episode after the other, we work on this. Put the antennas up today, friends. I got a great episode for you. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to connect with me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Eternal Optimist Podcast. I also do a live stream every morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern and talk about what's important that day, how to make things happen, share stats, share stories, share strategies, and work on our games, my friends. If you want a boost of energy or some fun, go ahead and hop on, check us out on the live stream. Today's episode, it's all about connection. It's all about connection. And my guest today, Mr. Dustin Reekman, he's an engineer turned entrepreneur. He has some amazing stories to share on his journey. He came from a home where he was witness to having a front row seat with abuse. Now, his mom got divorced when he was in high school, and his model for what family life looked like had challenges built in. In high school, he met his high school sweetheart. They got married, they have a family right now. Amazing story to hear. We talk about how he leads mastermind groups, how he took a struggling business that almost went under due to COVID laws and turned it into a venture that is now set to be sold on the shelves of Walmart starting Q1 2023. Dustin is a connector and his philosophy is Opportunity comes when you plant seeds. You may not see it now, so plant as many as you can. And Dustin is a master at this. Watch how he very articulately plants seeds of how he serves people, of how he can help you on things such as your marriage, your podcast, your building of your speaking career. There are so many things. He has so many levels. He's smart. Dustin's articulate. He's a committed husband, a father, and a leader. In his words, you'll feel and hear heart. You'll hear wisdom. You'll hear disciplined thinking. And you may notice he's easy to talk to. He was a joy to have on the show. Without any further ado, welcome my guest, Mr. Dustin Reekman. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. 
Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that introduction, welcome to the show, my new friend, our guest, Mr. Dustin Reekman. Dustin, greetings, sir, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. It's awesome to be here with you. Yes, sir. It is fantastic to be here with you as well. And uh, when we first connected a minute ago, I made the comment that you have a, looks like a nice Christmas sweater, and it's actually a, a, a workout, like a running shirt. So I'm curious about uh, your physical fitness. Are you a runner? Are you a lifter? You look pretty fit. So what does your physical fitness look like for you, Dustin? How do you do that? Well, I appreciate that. I wouldn't say I'm at my peak, but I, yeah, I love running. I love trail running. I do a lot of like rucking. So basically walking with heavy weight on my back. They do some, some group men's fitness workouts early in the morning, several days a week. So it's kind of a mix. I, I do a lot of lifting. It's mostly like circuit based and, and running, but I ran a marathon. I run a lot of like trail eight mile to 13 mile runs. So yeah, I'm interested because that's one of my dreams on my uh, dreams list this year is to run the Charlotte City Marathon, and that's in Q4. Oh, awesome. There's a little bit of time to prepare, and right now, my only running is I, I run five miles once a week on Saturday morning. So how might I prepare for the uh, – this isn't really on our agenda, but I just felt compelled <laughs> because you have a Brooks shirt on, and you're obviously right. a runner. How might someone who's run a marathon, how might you advise me to start preparing for a marathon that's nine months away, ten months away? Yeah, I mean, I think you have plenty of time for one. I think so. I, I followed yeah. a program from a, an app called Runkeeper. At the yeah. time, it was free. It might be like $3 or something now, but the, the, you can grade your own level of fitness. How many miles a week you're currently running would be one of those things. And then it'll yeah. lay out a plan. And you can say, I have 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 24 weeks. And I did that. And ultimately, the it got me up to running about four times a week. And it was a mix of like a short run and like an aggressive, like paced run, a really casual run, and then like a long run on the weekend. And it just kind of builds up until you get up closer to the race day and then it tapers you back down. So that's that's my easy answer. I'm not an expert, but the app is. Well, you're more of an expert than me because you've done something that I want to do, which is <laughs> uh, running a marathon. So I'm envious and excited to do that. Let's go to what's something, uh, one or two things about you, Dustin, that the audience should know about you. As we dive in to get started. Yeah, I've been in like Christmas parties where it's like, what's one thing like it's, that people wouldn't guess about you, I guess, sort of thing. But it is really relevant to question, my story. By the way? Or is that, is that a, what's that? Is that a decent question? I don't know. Is that a good question? Ask I think that. it's a good question. Or could, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah, I'm good with it. Well, so well, one thing okay. that most people, maybe if they're seeing the video, that wouldn't be a surprise because there's a, a logo behind my head. But I, I wrote a marriage mm -hmm. book. So it's called 15 Minute Marriage Makeover. And I did that while I was a full-time consulting engineer, like a traffic engineer, you know, civil engineer. So those two things are pretty dichotomous, I guess, but it was done as a creative outlet and a way to expand ministry that my wife and I were involved in with married couples. Okay. And so I did that. And, and what was great about that is it pulled me online. I created my first website. I got into digital marketing, which ultimately led me out of engineering into some other, some other pretty interesting entrepreneurial journeys that I've been on. So... Heck yeah. But marriage was kind of the thing that pulled me online to be able to spread that message. And in doing that, I learned the skills and, and found I really enjoyed the business side of things as well. Awesome. Oh, well, if I were to ask your wife, because I've seen someone walking through a background like a, a, a little while ago, <laughs> if, if that is your wife, if we were to ask her, what makes Dustin a great husband? What do you think she might say? Ooh, I would say communication. I'm a good communicator. And that has taken a long time to learn. And I'm, I'm, I'm walking proof that it's a skill that you can you can hone and acquire over time because we had some rocky years early on because I was not a good communicator. And 
Yeah. So I think, I think she would give me credit for that at this point. We've been married 21 years, so I've had a lot of practice. 21 years, dude, you look way too young to me. When did you get married when you were like 15? Goodness. No, no, wow. no, I was actually 20. I was actually 21. I'm, I'm 43. So we've been married 21 okay. and a half years. We we're high school sweethearts. Sweet. So that, that seems like a really young time to get married, but we'd already been dating for like five years. So for us, it felt like we had waited an eternity to be able to, to, to do that. So Awesome. Well, thank you for a little bit uh, peek behind the curtain for some of the personal stuff. I love to go to uh, some challenges and that's what we do on our show. We, we provide hope and inspiration. You can do it too. And yeah, you know, just thinking about some of the things that may have been hard for you and, and take it back in time anywhere you want to. You can go yesterday, you can go childhood. Just what is a, a challenge that you faced in your life that has had some transformative effect on you, Dustin? Sure. Yeah, there's lots of those. I typically talk about the entrepreneurial <laughs> side, but I think in the context of that, I'll kind of go deeper and darker. So my uh, my childhood okay. was interesting. My dad was an alcoholic and pretty abusive to my mother and there's a lot of a lot of stuff that went on there with with my stepbrother and myself. But in the early years of high school, they things really escalated badly, and uh, they end up getting divorced. And of course, that was a dark time. But I was, at the time, I actually viewed it as like a release from a trap for my mom because I, I always viewed marriage as like a trap because like the only reason she's with this guy and continues to take this abuse is because she agreed to marry him and she doesn't want to divorce him. And I had no faith background as a child. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't have any context for anything different. And it was shortly after they divorced, I believe, that I met Bethany, my, my now wife. And so she lived in a very stable home and uh, her brother was in my class at high school. And so I respected him. And as I got to know her parents, they really provided a model for me of what marriage was supposed to be. And they were practicing Catholics and, and faithful Christians. And so it was really in that experience and getting to know her and her family that I was drawn into the Christian faith and I joined the church when I was in college, my own choice, my wife, <laughs> my now wife, who was my girlfriend, was my sponsor. And not long after that, my, my dad got sober, my parents reconciled and they remarried. And my wife, at the time, my girlfriend and I were the attendants at their remarriage. And then they lived until he passed away, not you know a few years back, but they lived a fairly healthy and happy life after that. So it's all kind of intermingled in there, like my faith and my relationship with my wife and my parents and my view on marriage. And I've already told you I wrote a marriage book. Right? So that definitely led us into being passionate about marriage ministry and showing people the right model and 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 yes, and, and serving in that way. And we've continued to do that our entire married life. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot there, but it's quite a background of, of yeah. some challenges there. And then to hear kind of the the journey of the reconciliation that they somehow found that light and they got back together. Oh, and when they got back together, was it uh, was it a different, better experience a second time around? Yeah, my dad stayed sober and he, he had health challenges, mostly because of the choices he made. Also, my dad was 18 years older than my mom. So there was a, that was a whole, very interesting dynamic, of course, growing up. My mom had been abused as a child. So as an adult, I understand a lot of the patterns and some of the reasons some of the things happen. But as a child, it was more like, this is bad. Why don't you leave? This is ridiculous. And so I was I was blaming the wrong things. So but yeah, that. That was uh, definitely a low point that I, I feel like is really, it was a choice to make, right? Like, do I want to let that be my model or do I want to completely turn 180 degrees away from that and make something else my model? And I've had numerous things in life like that where I've had a stark example of what I don't want to do. And, and that's where I see the optimism coming in. Like, I don't have to do that. I can make different choices and I just need different models. And I need different mentors. Mm. Well. 
So that's that was one challenge that came from like a personal background and help color the way that you view marriage and relationships. And I'm happy that it, it's turned into very just love and positive. Now, I'd love to go back to some of your entrepreneurial challenges, if we may, and sure. maybe your first business or the first big failure, big success. Just walk us through some of the challenges you've seen in your entrepreneurial career, please. Sure. Yeah. So to give some context, I went to school for engineering, got a master's degree in civil engineering and practiced as a consultant for about 16 years. So I was never an entrepreneur. I didn't even know the word because I was never exposed to it again as a child. I like to, the fact that I got a scholarship to go to engineering school was amazing. It was like, I couldn't imagine a bigger, better dream. And so I was, I'm very grateful for all that I was blessed with in that way. However, I did realize after I started practicing engineering that I had an entrepreneurial itch too. And so I, uh, 2009 is when I created Engaged Marriage. Again, grew out of marriage ministry, but it became a business and it's still a business. Like we have marriage courses, we have a membership site, had the book, we've done speaking. So that was my foray into it, but I didn't actually leave engineering until the end of 2017. So there was an eight year journey there of doing online businesses and full-time engineering in a pretty demanding career. And I'd say right in the middle of that was a real, it was a low point and the high point all at once. It was, it was when a, a switch flipped for me. And it was in around 2015, I decided I'm going to take time off of work and go to Austin, Texas and go to a digital marketing conference, which my wife wasn't super happy with, but she, she supported it. Right. And it was at that, it was at that event that I said, I can do this. Like I'm, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it. People like me, you know, it was a Stuart Smalley moment. And I came back with a, with a passion and a plan. It wasn't like I could switch immediately. My wife was a stay at home mom. We have three kids. So it took some time, but in two years, in 2017, I was like, I was building towards it. And then finally this like epiphany moment hit me in the summer of 2017, where I was said, you know what? This isn't a permanent decision. I'm putting way too much pressure on this. You know, like I could go leave engineering, do it responsibly try to be a full-time entrepreneur. And if it doesn't work, I'll give myself six months. I can go back to the same firm or a different one, right? But that, honestly, that hung me up for, I probably stayed in engineering four or five years too long because of this identity and this fear of like, if I burn that bridge, I can, I'll never be able to go back. So I set a plan in motion. Again, this is one of my better communication moments where I told my wife, I told my kids, like, I already work a lot. Like, I'm going to be working a whole lot for the next six months because from summer to the end of the year in 2017, I want to see what I can do, see if I can build a war chest and make this like a responsible jump, build up clients. So I started just doing marketing for anyone that would hire me. My dentist was a client, my a real estate broker I know was a client, a restaurant and, and some people online. So I was just taking anything I could get. I was building websites, doing Facebook ads, working all the time while still doing my engineering career where I managed 20 people and was, was responsible for all the sales and marketing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, 20 people full-time and entrepreneurially started to do digital Facebook ads, websites. You're doing both and full-time husbanding and parenting. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. With three kids. Please continue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. And so, but I knew, I knew, I knew what it was going to be like. And I said, you know what? I can, I can hustle this hard as long as there's a defined end point or decision point. So I said, let me do this, support me till the end of the year. Then we'll see, did it work? If it worked, great, I'll execute the plan. If it didn't work, we'll recalibrate and either set a new milestone or forget the whole thing, you know? So unfortunately it worked and my community was very supportive. I was shocked and this is a piece of advice I always give to any small business owner. I'm like, you just need to talk a lot about what you do. Like you have no idea the people, the connections that exist. So I'm like literally in my dentist chair, how are things going, Dustin? Actually, I'm taking on a bunch of marketing work and been really busy. 
really, we should talk. Like we've been thinking about switching up what we do with marketing. And they became my top client up until COVID. Into 2017, it worked. I had enough of a runway to feel comfortable, figured out the insurance thing and pulled the trigger. And then actually this moment I'd feared so much about telling my supervisor, you know, like I'm doing this and I'm really sorry. I'm, yeah. you know, and he said, Hey, actually I have a client. I'm, a, I'm the president of the engineers club. We need a new website. Can we hire you? I'm like, yeah, you can, you know? So he was really supportive. What? And I actually stayed on as a contract for a while, like doing basically helped me find and train my replacement. And they were paying me at like a triple my rate. Cause I wasn't taking benefits. I was like, this is awesome. Like this is recreated, like, but I never even expected that at all. So that happened. So that would, you know, that's kind of like the low moment. It's that two years real struggle. And then especially that six month, like, like heavy, heavy lift. And of course, then yeah. it, it springs into 2018 and I'm happy and I made the, li- the, the thing happen. But, you know, it's a very different experience not having a W-2 income and, and all the things that came with that. So, yeah, where that story leads is the short version is one of my clients locally was a butcher shop. And this guy that owned it was a third generation owner. He's about my age. And we hit, I got to know him. I was working with him. Found out he, we had the same, we were from the same hometown. Our grandfather served in World War II together and we're in the VFW together. Like I never knew the guy because he was two years younger than me. And I moved away from my hometown right when my parents got divorced. And so anyway, but we, we hit it off long story short. And he had a brand that he had, he had like literally built a Hickory smokehouse behind his, his original butcher shop location. And he made these like better for you snack sticks. So like a healthy slim Jim. And he's like, I got this thing. I sell it in golf courses. I sell it in my shops. He's like, people love it. I don't know how to, you know how to sell online. I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. So I've never done that. I've never sold a physical product or like e-commerce. So I said, let me build a Shopify store don't pay me for any of this stuff. Like pay me for what I'm doing for you on the, on the local side, but online, you know, let me try it and we'll see what happens. You know? So I started building an email list and just started selling online, proved that it was viable. And so then he started paying me a percentage of sales. And then he's like, you know what? He goes, I really love wholesale and brick and mortar. Would you come to Orlando with me? I want to go down to this PGA merchandise show. It's a trade show, right? I'd never been to a trade show. He never had had either. And so we'd go down there and, we're, I mean, we're breaking all the like protocol. Like we're taking these, we're like throwing samples at people and then people are coming over We and we're like taking nice. credit cards. Like you're not supposed to like do that. You're supposed to take like purchase order forms. We didn't have any of that stuff. I'm like, I'll take your credit card. I had a square reader on my phone. And we hired like models to like go to the end of the aisle and like point these golf pros our way. And like, it was crazy. It was a crazy experience. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff going on at that time. My mother-in-law was extremely sick and almost passed away. I had to leave the event early because of some major procedures she was having. So that was a busy, that was a busy time, January, 2019. Anyway, we continued on and that was, everything was going pretty well with that business. We were growing, we were in a lot of retail. I was continuing to grow the online sales, but there was less of a focus. And then something happened in March of 2020 where I was driving to Chicago for a Ace Hardware trade show. And I got a call that it was canceled. And I was huh. like, that's really odd. You know, like I'd heard about COVID and, and you know, all that all, coronavirus at the time. And then about, I don't know, a month later or less, in the state of Illinois, where I live, all the dentists were shut down, all the restaurants were shut down for six weeks. And so all of a sudden, all my marketing clients were, were generating most of my cash flow, but half of them just disappeared, not because they wanted to fire me because they weren't open. And then when they did reopen, they didn't really need marketing because they had such a backlog of patients. So that was a, a pretty rude awakening. And then Fire Creek, our whole business model was shot because there was no sampling, there was no trade shows. But the silver lining, the optimist part of this is it forced me to think differently. Right. And so I said, what can I do? I'm locked at home with my wife and three kids and yeah, we can't go anywhere. So I said, I listen, I love podcasts. I love listening. So I, I decided 
let me get on a podcast. So I pitched my first show and kind of had that Fire Creek story of bringing a local product online, which was very attractive at that time because there was a lot of local businesses struggling wanting to know how to sell online. And I had done it with Fire Creek, right? So I used that story and then I got on another show and another show, found that we were making direct sales to a very non-targeted audience, like selling meat sticks to like entrepreneurs basically, but it was working. And more importantly, I started developing a lot of relationships out of it, which led to a lot of really cool opportunities, which we can go down that thread of, of all the weird, crazy like unicorn things that have happened since. Okay. But, where that takes me to today is the to shortcut that part is uh, I've been on about 50 podcasts and about half of those were for Fire Creek. And then it something switched there where people started noticing what I was doing and seeing me marketing in public with this brand. And they started reaching out to me saying, can you help me with that? You know, so 2021, I had 20 one-on-one coaching clients. Basically, as people came to me, said, I want to hire you to help me. And I'd work with them for usually 90 days. And it was great. And became very repeatable and I started doing small groups and that's evolved to where my main business now, I've stepped out of most of the day-to-day with Fire Creek and have a partner there with on the marketing side. I still deal with strategy. Engaged marriage is extremely passive. So those two businesses take about 10 or 15% of my time. And most of my time now is spent coaching and leading a mastermind group around podcast guesting specifically for entrepreneurs. So I know that was a long story, but engineering to marriage to meat sticks to marketing to podcast guesting masterminds and i've found that like leading masterminds is my true passion like i absolutely love it and so now i have like a niche topic to do it around and i get to hang out with ambitious entrepreneurs all the time which is like my jam so it's like i have my own community that pays me to lead them and we have a really good time but yeah that's that's uh, there's a lot of turning points and low points and things in that story matt but thanks for letting me get all that out Holy freaking cannoli here. Wow. So we've got the PGA convention. We've got models at the end. You're hawking things using square. You've got health with your your mother-in-law. So some challenging stuff. You got COVID happened and all your clients all of a sudden are not there anymore. And I do want to come back to the unicorn things that happened, all all these relationships. You've got meat sticks and masterminds. That could be a good name for a show, meat sticks and (laughs) masterminds. I love everything you share. They're just so so much fertile ground to learn from. Let's just, I want to scratch this itch though. Let me go back to you said you, you met, there were so many unicorn things that happened, like random relationships might've formed. Yeah. What did you mean by that statement, Dustin? I got lots of examples, but basically what I mean is if I, if you challenge me, like even our, even how we're talking today, right? Like it all, every, almost every valuable online relationship I have traces back to a podcast guest appearance I had. So I have one of my huge passions and one of the mindset things I try to impart on people is this idea of planting seeds. And so people have the expectation, I want to get on a show and I want to sell some meat steaks or I want to sell some coaching and you should absolutely do that. However, the real value is actually stuff you can't see. And so every one of these shows I view as planting a seed and that seed might sprout the day it releases. I might get some cool opportunity. It might be, I mean, I still get people reaching out for stuff I did in 2020. So two and a half years later, there's still opportunity coming from seeds that were planted back then. And so when I say like, is sowing and reaping like you don't know exactly what you're going to reap but you won't ever reap if you don't sow so i'm like i'm real intentional i like to be on about one podcast a week and i've in our mastermind we talk about how to do that without it being a burden on me where it's all scalable and i have someone else helping me and it's basically i just get to show up and tell stories and and do the stuff i love and then it creates business because we have a, a system and a sales funnel behind it so one example though that kind of came up recently in summer t- or fall 2020, I was on a show called Bigger Pockets Business. It was the biggest show I'd been on at that time. 
And this guy was listening. His name's Daniel. There actually had a lot of relationships that came out of that one show, but this guy named Daniel was listening. He's a young guy, real estate investor, YouTuber, was like wanting some advice. So we had some Zoom calls. And at some point, he's like, you know, I work at Walmart and I work in finance. I'm, I've been here two years. I don't know anyone, but I'd love to help you if I can. You've been so helpful to me, you know, the law of reciprocity. And I said, that would be cool. You know, I don't know anything about Walmart. And we were a very small brand, especially at that time. And uh, but he 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 found an email address for the meat snacks buyer at Walmart, and he made an introduction and said uh, he linked to the podcast. He's like Dustin has a really compelling story, and so this guy had a I had a one hour Zoom call with the meat snacks buyer at Walmart, like the, literally the largest retailer in the world, and I got a lot of insight about like what we should be planning for and what you know how this whole, whole thing works. So it created a seed in my own brain, like maybe we could be in Walmart someday, you know, and and uh, we need to set up our business appropriately. So. Then that guy left that position, but he put in a good word with his replacement. And then she reached out last fall and said, I've heard good things about your brand. Just wanted to touch base. We're doing our line reviews. I'm not changing anything, but I do want to just talk to you guys. Zoom call with her. Then in the spring of 2020, they do an open call where they invite like some small businesses to come down. It's kind of like a hoorah-rah for Walmart supporting small business in America. And it was a cool event, but she invited us specifically and we got to meet her in person. And we started talking about how we could change some of our, not change, but how we could have an alternative packaging that would work for her aisle, right? Because what we do is yeah. more of an impulse buy. And uh, fast forward to the fall of 2022, she invites us back to Bentonville to talk about details. And now we're we're going into Walmart in the early 2023. So we don't have a store count yet. It'll be, a, it'll be a test, but still like the credibility that comes with that, the notoriety and the, you know, the finances that come with that, like it, it's, a, it's a big thing. So that that's, so it's a great example though, because I didn't get on that podcast thinking anything about Walmart, especially not two and a half years later. However, there's no chance in heck that we'd ever even have thought of being in Walmart, let alone had the relationship there to nurture over the past couple of years to actually make it real. We've got lots of Fire Creek stories like that. I mean, literally my entire coaching business is only exists because I started podcast guesting for the Fire Creek brand, right? And now it's like I found a, like this major passion of masterminding. So yeah, but that's one unicorn result of, of several. It's amazing. It's amazing that you did not go in expecting that, but you never know when you go in open-hearted and sharing, you you find just magical treasures appear. Any other examples you care to share about relationships met, other business things? Love to hear it. Yeah, I'm trying to narrow them down in my brain. One quick fire creek one that would be a little more intentional, but still had an outsized result that I didn't expect was there's a, a podcast called Brand Builder, and it was by a company named Snack Nation. And so Snack Nation's business model was better for you snacks in a big box and they send them to corporate break rooms. So like Facebook, Google, Apple, these big tech companies pay for the service as a benefit to their employees. Well, COVID happened to them too, right? So then they had to shift their whole business model to work from home. And somehow I linked up with this guy on LinkedIn and just, we had a little chat on LinkedIn about what a pain in the butt it was to be going through this stuff at that summer. And I noticed they had a podcast I used him. I didn't use him. I asked him if I could have an introduction to the host. I thought we had a compelling story and he did that for me. So then we got interviewed, Ryan and I, my business partner and I got interviewed together. thought it was probably one of our best interviews ever. It was just super detailed and it was all about the story behind the brand. It was great. So I but the reason I wanted to be on there is because I wanted to be in the Snack Nation box, right? But I knew we were a very small brand. Again, it was like guerrilla marketing. I'm like, give us a chance. So, because the guy that I'd connected with was huge fan of ours and love the flavor of, of our sticks and stuff. So it worked and we got, we got a placement in 8,000 of their boxes, but we had to donate the product. So it was like, yeah, okay. Like 
it's it costing us to be in it, but we get like Nielsen level data back. And we also are getting our, our meat in the, I always say, we always say we put our meat in your mouth. We got our meat in the mouth of our, our target market, meat which is like young affluent <laughs> professionals who want to eat better. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's my crude, that's my crude tagline. So we did it. And that was it, right? That was 2021. So it was like early 2021. I thought that was cool. You know, like now I can put the as seen on Snack Nation logo. Like it, it was a credibility builder again for us. January, 2022, I get an email from Sharon at Carew. And I'm like, I don't, I've never heard of Sharon or Carew, but I open the email. Carew is now the renamed parent company of Snack Nation. So she now sits in the seat of the guy I met in LinkedIn in 2020. And she's like, I'm changing the way we buy snacks. We, we, we've been kind of ad hoc, but we've been growing rapidly. And we need, we want to, we're basically forecasting for the year what we need. What's your capacity? Good question. So <laughs> we figured that out and she placed a purchase order for this year for 550,000 snacks. Things. Became our biggest customer overnight. And it's been an incredible relationship because we're now we're making money on it. It's not like a donation, right? And and we've got 550,000 samples out in the United States of affluent, mostly millennials and, and middle-aged people that work at tech companies who are invested in better for your snacks. So that's another, you know, it was, it was more intentional. I didn't think it would go that far. And that was a really cool email to get early this year. So but wow. again, it wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have been on that podcast because I didn't, I left that part out. She said, I've been reviewing the work that George left behind. I, I got samples. You have really good customer feedback when we were, when you did your sampling and I listened to every podcast in our salty snack category because it was their own internal podcast that we were featured on. And so she's like, your story is amazing. I tried the product. It stands up to the feedback. What's your capacity? And that was like the conversation. So, and, and actually having that in our pocket when we went into the Walmart meetings was super helpful. Cause it's like, we just, here's the purchase order that we're fulfilling for snack nation. You know, like we, we, we have the stuff to, to, to perform at the level you need us to. So that was really, really good timing in hindsight. I hadn't thought about that till just now. Heck yeah. And now a break from the show to hear from our sponsor for the day. Today's sponsor is a quote from Dan Millman's great book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, page 96. There are no accidents. Everything is a lesson. Trust your life. Everything has a purpose, a purpose, a purpose. This is your training. Let the pain purify your mind and your body. It will burn through many obstructions. A warrior doesn't seek pain, but if pain comes, he uses it. Friends and listeners of the show, I'm compelled to remind you of how amazing you are, how you have successfully overcome every obstacle ever thrown at you. How do we know that? Because you're still here right now, resilient as ever. You can do whatever you put your mind to. Figure it out. You can do it. And with that, let's get back to the show. Max's question might be, if you promise the capacity of 550,000 snacks and you're about to get the, the number from Walmart, and I imagine that once it's out there, there's going to be more requests to come. That's reasonable to assume. How are you thinking about this next phase of scaling up your capacity? How is that? Yeah. We've got that base covered as well. So in, in the industry we're in, since it's meat and you're shipping it over state lines, it has to be made in a federally inspected like USDA plant, right? And a lot of people don't know this stuff. 
I didn't know any of this. I'm a, yeah. My business partner is the product guy. I'm the sales and marketing guy. So we already had a co-packer is a sh- short version of that. Someone else actually produces our recipes and our packaging and ships them to our warehouse. That, that was already happening. For other reasons and these new opportunities, we actually switched co-packers and to someone who just opened like this year a $7 million expansion specifically for snack stick production and met all our criteria. And they were in a place where they would need to fill that capacity. So it, it worked out, I guess you could say. So we're, we're, we should be good on capacity now. Awesome. Well, that sounds like things are just humming along here. And it feels like when you had that conversation with your wife and kids sharing that it's going to be a uh, a challenging time when you were working full-time in 2017 and trying to be an entrepreneur, you were kind of burning the candle at both ends and to yeah. fast forward now five or six years. What a journey it's been, man. I'm, I'm happy for you to hear it, that it, it's working it. out. Do, do you go back to the engineering days and, and miss being an engineer in any ways? No, not really. Because I- a lot of my job was presentations, which I enjoyed, but they were usually presentations at night in front of angry city councils and residents because I thought my topic was traffic, right? So imagine a big development comes in oh. town. They, they hire me to figure out how to mitigate the impacts. And I've got to say, hey, they've covered it. Like they're investing the, in the right infrastructure. And then everyone's like, you're right over my kids. You, I have a driver's license. You're no more qualified than I am, you know, that kind of stuff. So I don't miss that part. And actually, this is it's interesting you brought that up. So in 2020... You know, my whole world kind of fell apart professionally. I, and this is before PPP loans. I didn't know what the heck we were going to do. And it was, I'd lost like more than half my revenue. Fire Creek was no longer really a cash flow business at that time because we, we were making all our money by the activities we were doing that were shut down. So I was like, what am I going to do? Luckily, I still had a great relationship with the engineering firm I left and I went back and did some contract work, right? So they're just sending me like contract work and then all the meetings went virtual. So I'm like, that's awesome. Now I don't have to go to city council meetings. So I actually got pulled back into it for a period, which I'm very blessed and like very thankful that I had that kind of security blanket there. It gave me a lot of confidence mm-hmm. to not have to like, you know, go go crazy and go back full time or anything like that. And then I continued to do that for a while and to the point where I got a little soft, I guess you could say, like, I was like, oh, this is easy money at a great rate. Like, I'm just doing the parts that I like. However, yeah. what, I, what I knew, but I didn't want to admit was that it was a major distraction to my bigger goals. So I finally cut that loose. And it was when I cut that loose at the end of last year, earlier this year, like that's when all that one-on-one coaching, all the stuff I was doing around podcast guesting, like almost overnight transformed into like a mastermind group, attracting a much better clientele, much more engaged people. And so like my whole coaching business really exponentially grew this year, like majorly pretty much because I, I finally like focused on it fully, almost fully, you know, I still have engaged marriage in Fire Creek, but I, I stepped out of Fire Creek as a day-to-day and, and basically whatever I was going to earn from that, we turned it over and let performance-based marketer help with the online sales. I'm still involved in the strategy and going to Walmart meetings and stuff, but it's much less of a focus for me. Engaged marriage is very passive. Once I gave up again, you know, the engineering contract work, then things really took off. So I think again, for the listeners, Hello. It's enticing to sometimes because there's like the stuff that feels easy to you, but it could still be a huge distraction from the bigger goals. And, and you have to release some things sometimes. Well, thank you for sharing that, Dustin. And kind of moving back to kind of where you're going from here in the future. Tell us, you know, if we want to learn from you and your mastermind, or we want to find out more about Fire Creek or your journey. I mean, how do we find out more about you, connect with you, get enrolled in your course? Just tell us, tell us how to find you. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So my home base is simplesuccesscoaching.com. It's updating the website now to be a little more descriptive of exactly what I offer. But regardless, people can always email me as well. So if they had a question today, there's something that that really inspired them or brought up something they want to follow up with me on. Yeah. Dustin, D-U-S-T-I-N at simplesuccesscoaching.com is my direct email. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So if people are over on LinkedIn, I have a pretty unique last name, pretty easy to find me, Dustin Reekman, which is R-I-E-C-H. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to connect over there. It's, uh, between podcast guesting and LinkedIn, is it's a really powerful combination. And it's it's yeah, it's become kind of my new home base. I post there pretty much every weekday and just have really grown a great network that I really love engaging with. Awesome. And so who might be the ideal avatar of the person that would be interested in your mastermind programs, Dustin? Yeah, I, I describe them as mission-driven entrepreneurs. Oftentimes, they're solopreneurs. You know, they're a, a one-person business. At the accelerator level, they're typically doing six figures, but they have an eye towards wanting to aspire to like a seven-figure type of income, or they want to add another six figures is kind of how I usually phrase that. But they're really, it's it's purposely a very diverse group every time as far as verticals. There's a lot of coaches, consultants, service providers, SaaS founders, authors, speakers. So it's kind of anyone that would kind of wear a hat of expert in a certain subject matter. You know, it's the type of people you'd expect to be interviewed on podcasts. But I curate each group and I, I am real careful to make sure there's no competition within the group. So I feel like as a mastermind leader, what I've learned is my my number one thing. Of course, I have a system. I'm teaching them how to do the marketing and do the podcast guesting. That's a given. But my top priority is to curate really good groups that are very collaborative, who would describe at the end of the 90 days that they found like an entrepreneurial family. This is a place they can trust and open up and be vulnerable and all the ups and downs of, of the entrepreneurial life. So I look, I literally like, as I'm filling up each group, I keep a physical paper with their name. And so I can, I can look at these people. Like I've got a digital marketer. I've got a woman who's a, like a woman's empowerment coach. She mostly works with professional women who are wanting to bring their expertise online. I've got a money mindset coach and a salesperson, a wealth manager, an email copywriter. Uh, yeah. I mean, so it kind of, kind of spans the, the gamut a bit on purpose because what I found has been really fun. Like a previous group had li- literally a chicken rancher who, who it actually made sense for him because he's a really good storyteller, a very good character. And he's really passionate about sustainable agriculture and he sells chickens, but he sells like education too, you know? So like having him in there with someone who's like a Facebook ads expert, like it, it creates some really neat insights because like, people think differently when they come from different verticals. So my, my first temptation was to be like, I'll get all these e-commerce people. Cause I have my fire Creek kind of banner to see like, I, I know how to grow an e-commerce company this way, but I decided not to do that because a lot of the e-commerce people I talked to all were using the same, they all had the same mindset about marketing. And so I found it was much more fun and effective to have like different types of people in each group. So I know it's a very long answer, but basically it's experts who want to add six figures, who love talking about their business, who are passionate. They love to teach. Like that's, that's who would really thrive in my group. What do you say to the entrepreneur? Take me for an example. I was sharing earlier that I'm going on a bunch of podcasts right now. And when you talk about your accelerator course, I absolutely love the idea. Yeah. And you know, full-time like you, got three young kids, I've got, oh, really? you know, three businesses, yeah. uh, I've got all kinds of opportunities, but the, we, I feel kind of prioritized right on all these things. So I love what you're saying. I wouldn't know where to find the time. What would you say to that person who already has so much on their plate? Yeah. I mean, that, that person's me and uh, that person's every member of my group too, right? And so 
there's a couple mm-hmm. things there. I, I mm-hmm. thought what you were going to ask, and I'll answer this, even if it's not exactly what you asked, is, you know, what if you've been on a lot of shows Wait. and it hasn't drove revenue? Or I really like this idea of being on shows. I think it would definitely drive revenue, but I don't know how to like do it. So we're, those are the two problems we're really solving in, in one in one mastermind. So we start off addressing the how to get on the shows very efficiently, even if you were doing it yourself. Then like we immediately the next the fifth week literally like a tw- it's a twelve week program. The first four weeks are f- like my five my framework, which is purpose, plan, pitch, perform. So we define your purpose. Why do you want to be on there? What's going to be your call to action? The plan is the research, how to really do that in a fast way and find the right shows for you. Pitch is how to like have a really crafted like pitch that you can recycle but customize each time to get 80% acceptance rates. That's been my my experience. And then perform, like how to efficiently prepare and show up. So all you really have to do is do the interview. Then the next thing we do is either if you have one already, great, or if you need to hire a virtual assistant, like that's what that's that's the real secret sauce here is we help you we'll help you hire them if you don't have them. And if you do have them, I will train them. Like I have all the training for a virtual assistant to, to go run those first four steps for you. So, well, first three, you're still showing up doing the interviews, right? Cause that's the, that's the time consuming part. If you're thinking about me, if I was on one podcast a week, the actual interview might take an hour or less. If that's all you have to do, that's pretty sustainable for, for even the busiest entrepreneur. If you're also having to find the shows, write the pitches and keep track of them and follow up, that's the part that's more time consuming, but that's actually the pretty easy part once you've got it customized to your business. So anyway, that's how we out, we outsource some of the, the, the legwork. So that's the first four steps in, in the first four or five weeks. Then we spend two thirds of our time on step five, which in my framework is profit. So that's like, okay, cool. Now we're like, we've got these podcasts going, we're getting interviewed, we're planting lots of seeds. How do we harvest? How do we leverage each of those opportunities to shortcut that first process and get on more shows and better, bigger and better shows, but also to actually make direct sales. So like in your case, if you're selling coaching, like this works best if you have a high ticket offer, like if you're selling coaching, consulting, something where a client value is high enough that like just getting one makes the whole thing worthwhile. But I've mm-hmm. also grown it selling $2 meat sticks, right? So it can, you can be applied in different ways. In the meat stick example, it's, I'm looking for high value relationships, like influencers, collaborators, brand collaboration, distributors, retail buyers, like that's the focus versus if I'm selling services, it's a lot easier. Honestly, like selling services is a lot easier because you're basically choosing your, the clients you want to work with. And then you're purposefully putting yourself in front of those target markets and using some other sales funnel ideas and strategies that we'll, we'll build together. So, yeah, I mean, so to be in the accelerator takes a couple hours a week and then to run the system, if you embrace the whole VA thing takes a couple hours a week, you know, after, and that's after. So then you're done with the 90 days and you basically take that same time that you were investing in the accelerator. And now you're actually running the system and generating what should be a six figure income from the, from the marketing channel of podcast guesting. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah, incredibly helpful. It's a lot, but I know I know there was a couple of questions kind of packaged into one there with what you asked. So No, it's really good. And actually you made it very crystal clear. The person that maybe feels overwhelmed or has a lot on their plate, this is the exact thing they need because they might get stuck not doing this, yes. not taking action, getting into your course, or not starting their podcast, or not being on a podcast because they're overwhelmed and you just took all the, the legwork out of it, just show up and uh, study for twelve weeks and just go on the shows. Yeah. And, and the, other, framed it. the other thing that happens that, that will improve your business, whether you never even got on a podcast, there's a couple of things that happen in these masterminds. For one, it's going to change your mindset. You're going to be around some really 
smart, ambitious people who have done different things than you and think differently. That's great. I guess there's three things. Two, one of the things we emphasize in here is optimizing your, what you offer. So you could probably charge more than what you're charging. If you have three businesses and you really want one, we could probably make that happen, right? As part of the process. So we could simplify your whole business in the name of like being on podcast guesting, but it's really about the group dynamic. And that's, so it's like selling what they want, give them what they need. I sell a podcast yeah. guesting system and you get that and people use it and it's very effective. What you don't think you need, or maybe not you personally, but what most people don't think they need when they're busy entrepreneurs is a mastermind group. And when they find that what that does for them and how that changes their entire business, not just the marketing side, like there's super a lot of power in that. So that's number two is optimizing what you do and, and, and the offers that you make. And then number three is referrals. So the other reason I like to have a very diverse group is because I want all of our networks to be complementary to each other so that by the end of this process, we all know each other, love each other, have a lot of vulnerability and transparency. We've helped inform what you offer. Now I'm going to be like super passionate to help Matt go sell that thing. And so I'm going to introduce you to anyone in my network that could benefit from you. And I can do that without feeling like anyone else is being slighted because you do different things than the other people in the group. And then we facilitate you doing that for each other, both for direct business and for podcast guesting opportunities. Because you can imagine at the end of 90 days, you've been running the system. You've been on numerous shows. You've booked a lot of shows. You have great things to all you've already personally gone like a dozen. So you, you could then think through those lists and say, Oh, like that would be perfect for Brooke. This one would be perfect for Josh. And then we actually put names on a matrix and like we facilitate referrals. So my whole goal, actually, the it's pulling back the curtain, which I don't really talk about much is to make the referral part of this more than pay for what you pay to be in it. So that everyone's yes. super happy at the end of 90 days. I want to continue being in my world. I don't, promise that because what I don't want is someone to sign up and feel pressured to do referrals. So it will naturally happen, Matt, but I don't want you to be like, Oh man, if I join this group, now nah, it's going to be like shady. It's like, I had to refer five friends. It feels like a multi-level thing. That's not, that, that's not it. So I don't even usually talk about it, but by the end of the time together, people are anxious to refer people to their friends. Like if you go look yes. at my LinkedIn profile, I posted a while back and just said, thanks to the people in my group and my, my previous group. And the comment, I mean, I'm a words of affirmation, love language guy, you know, going back to the marriage uh -oh. thing. So hearing yeah, the experience that these people had and how it transformed not only their business, but in some cases their personal life and like it got them a lot of time back. And so that's all that when I say like I'm passionate about masterminds, you can hear it now. That's really mm -hmm. what I love to do is like be that close to people, build that relationship and see them change in major ways. I do that in the name of with the, with the podcast guesting, which is kind of silly, right? Like. It's much, much more than that, but podcast guesting is a great vehicle and it's a great common uniter of the people in the group to all be like thinking a similar way, which is of course relationship based in its, it, by its nature. So that's the people yeah, I attract. Yeah. People are relationship, they value relationships, they value mission, they want to have an impact and more income, they want to simplify their life. To, you know, so that's, that's really the, the bigger picture here. Okay, so you've got that. And I love what you're sharing and I love that it's your relationship focused. I feel... I mean, I feel this is really authentic and really noble, like pure coming from you. So it feels very genuine. And I, I'm curious, you're welcome. I'm curious when, when you're talking about the podcast mastermind, is there synergy between your podcast masterminding, the groups that are created and curated, the engaged marriage side of the group? Are, are your businesses strategical, strategically aligned with each other in any way where they kind of feed and grow with each other? 
Not directly. The only common thing between all those is me. And what I actually went through this exercise, yes. I made this, I'm, I'm putting better words to this than I would have maybe even like two weeks ago. So I'm working with actually someone who's going to be in my next group. And she is like a branding strategist. And she offered, it's like, I'd love to like, take your take stuff out of your brain and like distill it and put it back. And what we what we found there, and it's no surprise from what you just said is like, one of my number one value, my number one value is my faith and in my family, my number three value is relationship. And so the common thing among all my businesses is they've all been grown through relationships. And like, I'm not against like paid ads and stuff like that. But everything I've built and grown has been through relationships. And I feel like podcast guesting is one of the few ways you can do relationships at scale. Like you can, you can do it in a way that actually scales and is like, makes a lot of sense to fuel a business. It's not all one-on-one stuff like LinkedIn sometimes feels like. So yeah, there's a common thread between what I do, but it's not like people in my accelerator for podcasting usually don't need marriage help. They do often buy meat sticks, but (laughs) that's not really a big driver for the business. (laughs) Nice. Nice. And I like what you're saying because there are a couple of things that have been challenging for me and a, running a podcast and B, being on a bunch of podcasts and C, trying to connect all of my podcast guests or my friends to others. It yeah. gets kind of jarbled and confused. And I've I've tried to create a spreadsheet around it. And you're just, your idea of keeping a matrix of who you're introducing to whom and how. I I love your, your thinking around that. I, Thank you. Yeah, it's been a work in progress, but I, I feel like we've got a good system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, it feels that way. And it feels like I am talking to the expert on this. So for any of our listeners who are interested in this particular mastermind on podcast guesting or anything around marriage or heck, we'll throw it out there. If you want a good meat stick, <laughs> you know who to reach out to, Dustin Reekman here. So I'd love to take you to the uh, the lightning round, some of our wrap-up questions to finish things off today, Dustin. I'd first ask you, what does the word eternal optimism mean to you for me what came up and i that's not not how i recommend people do things i was listening to a a show episode of yours to prepare and i only got to like everything but the last five minutes so i'm not prepared for your lightning round however that'll be fun I'll, i'll do this on my toes eternal optimism to me brings up my faith life so like it's the idea that there's a lot more than this world and i should be eternally i should be focused on the eternity not this world but do what i can while i'm in this world to be a good steward of my time talent and treasure because that's kind of my personal purpose statement awesome thank you that was rich that was a, a new, i haven't heard anything like that before thank you that was awesome well let's keep putting you on the spot here if there's been an inspirational movie or song that you might go to or listen to to get you fired up or to inspire you what might that be a movie or a song it's definitely going to be a Pearl Jam song. I told you, uh, you had a previous guest, Josh Painter, that, <laughs> that I'm going to hook up with because I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. There's a lot yeah. of them. I would say the one that your listeners probably have heard of, this less obscure would be Alive. It's off the original album, 10, and it's just this ballad of singing about, it's not really about being alive, but that's how I and other people interpret it. So it's like, it's like a, it's a you know, I am alive. And it's like celebrating the fact that despite difficulties, despite challenges, like you're still alive. You still have more things to move toward. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that's my favorite Pearl Jam song. I mean, (laughs) how can you not get fired up just singing that song? I'm still alive. Okay, so I'm at my friend Harvey's 40th birthday party. Yes, I'm at at a buddy Harvey's 40th birthday party two weeks ago. And we got a band that showed up to play for us. And uh, he gets up there and that's the song he starts to sing. That's awesome. uh, Is that Pearl Jam Live? And uh, I just love the song. It's the only song I'm doing karaoke. And I have a friend who's a local musician. He does a lot of cover songs. And when he sees me walk in, the next song is always Alive or Black. This is another another song off that that album. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. How, how does the reframe go for you? Can you give us a little voiceover no, here? I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I, <laughs> I have to have back music, and it has to be a loud bar. I can't. I'm not doing it cold. Fair, fair. Last question: If there is a, a book that you're listening to or reading right now, what's something that has given you value in some way, book wise? Well, the one that's always on my Audible that I I'll come back to and I feel like I need it is uh, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. It's an old book, like probably from the, it's probably recorded in the sixties. It was, it was recorded on tapes. I know that actually references the tapes. That's what, that's like a good, just like ongoing book. It's like, no matter where I turn it on, it's got some value for me. And it's about like, if I'm starting to feel a little negative or if I'm like, I need to get away from a negative thought loop, like I'll go for a long walk in silence. And I'll usually like the last 15, 20 minutes, I'll pop that in that. And there's another one called the strangest secret. It's kind of similar for Earl Nightingale. That's, it's only a 30 minute audio. So I listened to that thing. I listened to it for 30 days straight a couple months back. And, and I'm not like a woo woo guy. I'm an engineer and a Christian, but like neither, both of those guys are Christians. And so it's, it's the power of positive thinking and mindset and speaking, speaking things into existence and abundance. And like, I've really started to accept a lot more of that in my life. And yeah, so those are great resources. And then on like a very practical side, there's a book called hundred million dollar offers by Alex Hormozzi that, I listen, I read, reread a lot because it's so, so rich and it's so good at helping me with business strategy and thinking through other people's offers. And you just named some books right there, my friend. And I don't, I've never read anything by Earl Nightingale. I've certainly listened to him on the new lead, the field tapes. My dad and I used to listen to that on long road awesome. trips. I love that voice. I think I first heard acres of diamonds story told by Earl Nightingale. Yeah, yeah. Look up the strangest secret on a, on any podcast app. You know, it's like a 28 to 30, 30 minute audio. And so it's just, you know, someone's released it as a podcast. It's just a single episode and it's just called The Strangest Secret. And it's him in the, in the original voice. And so I think it's in the 50s or 60s, early 60s when he released it. So the fair warning to anyone that goes to listen to it, it's excellent. It is extremely male chauvinistic. <laughs> it's like for women, your goals might be to be a great homemaker. And for men, you're going to be the one earning money. And so there's, there's a lot of that because it's, it's a sign of the times. But if you can look past that, it's an awesome audio. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dustin, it has been amazing to have you on and to share some of the challenges that have led to some great breakthroughs. I'm just happy for you with your marriage and with your excellent expertise in business and podcasting and everything. So thank you for uh, gracing us with your presence. You're much appreciated, my friend. And uh, that's it, man. Thanks so much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks for giving me a, a forum to open up about some things I don't get to talk about too often. This was really, really, really helpful for me as well. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.